ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. Will there be enough trained surgeons to meet patient demands in the years to come? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on the future of medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Russell, the executive director of the American College of Surgeons. Prior to his leadership role at the American College of Surgeons, Dr. Russell was chairman of the Department of Surgery at California Pacific Medical Center and professor of surgery at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Russell is known as a consensus builder and an innovative thinker who is taking the college in directions that will help to ensure that surgeons can practice in an optimal and ethical environment and that outcomes for and the safety of surgical patients will continue to be both safeguarded and improved. Welcome, Dr. Russell. Well, it's nice to be with you, Mark. Today we are discussing the state of the surgical workforce. Dr. Russell, where are the greatest medical professional workforce deficits today? Well, the consensus today is that we have a shortage of physicians in this country. Now, this has been obviously debated in the past, and some workforce studies that have been done were frankly wrong. And the workforce studies of the 80s and the 90s predicted a surplus of physicians, not a shortage. Why did it predict that? That was probably multifactorial. One thing is they didn't realize the economic advantages of living in the United States and the need for more medical services. And of course, all this technology has driven the system, as have the aging population. In answer to your question, Mark, one of the really significant areas with respect to workforce is in the primary care arena. And although we predict a shortage of specialists, surgical specialists perhaps in the future, and particularly in rural America, we also see, and we're very understanding of this problem, of the shortage in the primary care arena. Now, it's not just a distribution issue in terms of not as many people, physicians, that is, in the rural communities? I mean, one of the huge problems that we have in the United States, and this has been present for decades, is that physicians often, you know, gather in the large urban areas, the desirable places to live where there are a good section of the population. And so that leads to all sorts of maldistribution. It's very difficult today to get younger people to go out into the more rural parts of the country, which obviously is the majority of the United States. The majority of the United States is not these big cities, although we may live in them, but, but there's still a great need to service these other communities. How are we going to deal with that? I think this is a very important issue for policymakers. As you know, many medical students and residents finish their training owing a lot of money. And it's been suggested that perhaps we could excuse some of their debt if they were willing to go out and to practice in underserved areas. The other thing that I think, Mark, is really important is that we expose people in their training, both in medical school but probably more importantly as residents, that we expose them to uh, working in places other than these big cities. And that would entail having, you know, rotations or having clinical exposure to residents in primary care and also in surgery 
to physicians who work in some of these rural clinics and rural hospitals in the United States. Dr. Russell, how do you measure supply and demand among primary care doctors or surgeons? Well, that's tough. And it's difficult because, you know, physicians start off doing one thing and then migrate into something that's much more specialized. So they may morph into something very different with respect to what they're doing as far as work is concerned. Probably the best way to measure it is access issues, problems that patients are having accessing physicians. Now, the market that I know best, because that's where I worked for many years as a practicing surgeon 30-some-odd years in San Francisco, I know there is a real access problem for primary care in that community, and that is found out by simply people being unable to develop a relationship with a primary care physician. All the practices are closed, or people are retiring, or they're going into another system, so they're kind of closing their practices, and it's very difficult for people to gain access. That's probably the best way to to identify uh, issues of a workforce problem. And is this shortage also in surgery? It is certainly in some areas. You know, they say that if a smaller hospital and by that I mean under 100 beds. And remember, many of our hospitals in the United States, the 5,000 or so hospitals are, are hospitals of only 50 beds, 25 beds perhaps, these critical access hospitals. If they don't have a surgeon to do basic surgical care there, it becomes economically not a very viable you know, institution. That's a big issue is how are we going to keep these smaller hospitals going? Also, Some hospitals have had to close services, close ERs. If they have a trauma center, some of them are on divert because there just simply are not the personnel, you know, that can yield services. Dr. Russell, you mentioned about the emergency room and the problems therein. Does the shortage in the emergency room physicians impact practicing surgeons and primary care physicians? Oh, I think it does. And many surgeons in practice, and and I'm saying, you know, surgeons of all specialties, general surgeons, orthopedists, plastic surgeons, the list goes on and on, have opted to not cover emergency rooms. Why is that? Well, I think it's multifactorial. Number one, it's a lifestyle issue. I mean, you know, being called at two o'clock in the morning and then having a busy day the following day is something that most people, as they mature, don't want to do. When you're young, this is okay. Uh (laughs) But as you get older, it's a little difficult to be up all night. I understand. And then have to do elective cases if you're a surgeon in the morning or see if your primary care doctor a busy office. That's number one. Another one is when you're called the emergency room, you're frequently asked to see a patient that you're not used to seeing. And in case of a surgeon, it might be a very bad victim of trauma. And so this takes you sort of out of what you normally are doing in your scope of work. Another issue is there's liability issues. So you're now being asked to do something that you're not doing on a regular basis, and you may be exposed to liability risks that you're not used to sort of in your elective practice. And then the other component, which is very real, is the reimbursement, since frequently there may be a difficulty with the insurance or lack thereof. So these are all, I think, issues that need to be addressed, that we can't just turn our back on it. If we're going to be able to cover our ERs, We've got to figure out you know, answers to some of these problems. And what's happening in surgery now, which is very interesting, is there is the emergence of sort of a new specialty called the acute care surgeon. And many hospitals have already utilized this. In the Chicago area, for example, I know of several hospitals where the hospitals employ a cadre 
of general surgeons who are very good at, at acute work, appendicitis, trauma, so on and so forth. And they basically are employed by the hospitals and work there on a shift basis. Well, doesn't that cross the line into the practicing general surgeon? It certainly does. And that's why this wellness model will not fit in all places. But in some places, actually, the elective surgeons have really embraced this because they don't want to do the trauma work. They just assume not come in at two o'clock in the morning because of the disruption. And so actually some hospitals, and I'm sitting in my office and looking at one right now, it's actually been embraced by the elective doctors. But in other hospitals, it's a conflict. So it's this one size is not going to fit all. What about the other factors, such as the cuts to Medicare, technology, threat of lawsuits, etc.? Does that influence the medical and surgical workforce today? Absolutely. How so? Well, I think it creates perverse incentives so that now people are doing certain things and then opting to not do other things. And it's very disturbing. You have very well-trained people who are not doing certain things because they can't afford it. I mean, it's a lost sort of work that they're doing in their practice. And so they opt into things where they're more comfortable and where there's reimbursement that's perhaps more appropriate for the work that they're doing. It's creating real issues, and uh, we need to fix this. We need to, to fix the reimbursement system. This cut that's coming this month, unless the Congress does something about it, of 10.1%, and then next year another 5%, is very concerning to us in these professional associations such as the American College of Surgeons. Because if this happens, this is a cross-the-board cut, and this sends a message to the doctors that we're not being appreciated. Our work is being devalued every year, and obviously the cost of running a practice and inflation is going up, and we're being cut 10%. This is creating an unsustainable practice for many people. And the other thing, Mark, that really bothers me about this is well, what kind of a message does this send to bright young people that are maybe in college that are thinking about a career in medicine? I've got a daughter in medical school now, so I, uh -huh. I can tell you I know what it's like to take all these courses. <laughs> it's a lot of work, and there's a lot of sacrifice. When they get into medical school, they have this amazing amount of material, much more than you and I had to uh -huh. learn. And then we're telling them when you get out... <laughs> You know, you're going to be joining the profession, and every year you're going to get paid less and less. And they're going to be 32 or 35 years old when they finish their training. They haven't made much money. They have large debts, and they're now going to go into a profession that's been really devalued. So this is really a very concerning about the pipeline of people that will choose medicine, because although it may be a calling, and they may really like to take care of patients, and they may like the science, and the art of medicine, but there has to be some financial infrastructure to support those dreams. Well, Dr. Russell, finally, are, are you optimistic that our workforce crisis is going to change and that the environment for medical people and surgical people are going to improve? I am. I'm very optimistic. I mean, it's going to have to change. We've got some issues now. We're addressing them as a professional association and as a profession of medicine. And I think we have to be vocal. We have to stand up for our rights. And I believe with time, this will be corrected. And you're already seeing changes in the system. And I think that many practices won't be in the future, you know, one-person practices. I work in a small group practice. But I think in the future, you'll see more doctors needing to work together 
because they're very complex for the individual practitioner, a system that worked very well in the past, but we're now beginning to see more and more doctors working together. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Russell, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the state of the surgical workforce. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment on the future of medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. This ReachMD program is featured on CIRMO, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.cermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.